Today we get the privilege of looking at Daniel chapter 6, and it's one of the most familiar stories in the Bible. Uh, it's a story that captures your imagination. It's also very easy and straightforward to understand. Uh, I, I even remember teaching a lesson to preschool kids where we made lion masks with paper plates and strips of construction paper, so you had them all, you know, had the mane for the lion. Um, but the two-year-olds that we taught that year, they understood the miracle that God performed for Daniel that night. But there's a lot more to the story than just the lions, and, and that's what we're going to look at this week. But, and sometimes, um, sometimes we do get caught up in the, the miraculous nature of this story. And, and sometimes we even think that's just unbelievable um, because it does sound unbelievable. But I do want us to, be, to, to remember that we need to be confident that this is a true story about a real man who was supernaturally protected from the teeth and claws of real lions because God had a plan to be glorified among the nations. But before we can even get to that miracle, we have to start at the very beginning. And so um, I gave somebody, I hope, Daniel 6, 1 through 4. That was me. Perfect. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them two high officials of whom Daniel was one to whom these satraps would give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault. Thank you. And for the record, yes, I know the paragraph goes through verse 5. That was intentional. There's a couple of spots throughout that that'll happen. So, um, so two weeks ago, we saw the writing on the wall, and we finished out Daniel's historical look at Babylon. Uh, this week, we continue with the historical narrative, but we have a new ruler and even a new government. And so last week, Elizabeth mentioned a little about who Darius was. Does anybody remember anything that she said? About Darius? About Darius? So if you want a refresher, you can take a look. Come on. Oh, there we go. You can take a look at your timeline on uh, page 33. Right, Darius the Mede not to be mistaken with Darius the first. Um, and if we look even just back the last verse of Daniel 5, we see that Darius the Mede took over after Belshazzar was killed, and he was 62 years old at that point. Um, but, but Darius the Mede was not mentioned outside of the Bible, outside of the book of Daniel, actually. Likely... Um, there, there are two distinct uh, thoughts about who Darius was. Likely he was the, sort of a governor of the city of Babylon. So I'm going to take us a, a flashback here. So these are the maps from, from last week. That first one with the smaller blue area is the Babylonian Empire. And that bigger blue area or green area is the Persian Empire. So you see how much bigger the Persian Empire is than the Babylonian Empire. And they would have already had their own capital established. And so to, to come in and, and take over that large of an area, you're going to have to have sort of uh, sub-governments kind of things. In the United States, we have a president who's over the whole thing, and we have governors over different states. Same type of, of concept, probably. Um, 
and even though the city of Babylon was a very powerful and great city even into later empires, at this point, this is likely not the main point of government for the per Persian Empire. And many scholars believe that Darius is um, a, a general named Gabruru, who is mentioned in other accounts and would have been the one in charge of the army that did actually take over Babylon. Um, but there's the, the other view is that, that some believe Darius was simply a title and not a name and could have been just another title for King Cyrus. This idea is not as, as common, um, but they would have said Cyrus was the Persian name and Darius was the Median name for the king. Um, don't know, doesn't matter. What we know is Darius was in charge at this moment. And I'm going to use the term king for Darius because that's the term that's used in the ESV, which is what we printed out into your books. And so we're just, yeah. We know he was in charge of at least the city. We know he had other officers below him. That's what's important for our context today. So if we remember Darius, and we know that this was in the time of, of Darius. Flip back to your timeline again. And, and we can see when this would have taken place. Uh, Darius the Mede ruled from 539 to 525 BC. There at, your, um, at the bottom of your timeline. Uh, so this took place sometime between 539 and 525. We can squinch that down even more um, because if you look up at the top of your timeline, which I forgot to put in our PowerPoint, but at the top of our timeline, you see Daniel, his ministry ended in 536 B.C. And so this would have taken place sometime between 539 and 536, uh, 536 BC. So that's what you want to write there in your margin or on your, on your, um, on your notes sheet that that was, that was our time frame for this. So how old would that have made Daniel? Yeah, if, if, he was, if he was 14 or 15 when he went into exile in 605 B.C., it's like Sandy said, he's going to be 80 years old. 80-plus-year-old man. This is m more than twice the life expectancy. Life expectancy was 35-ish at that point in time. Um, he lived in a clean environment, plenty of food and water. So he would have been expected to live past 30, uh, the age of 35. But the fact that he's 80, over 80, that's very impressive for this point in time. Um, when you think of an 80-year-old, what do you think of? Well, a, an old person, but what are they doing? They're slowing down. Slowing down. Mentally, physically. Yeah, mentally and physically slowing down. In our day and age, they're retired. I was just talking to, to Cindy, and she's she was, I'm not going to say how old, but she was telling me that in a few years, she's going to be no longer eligible for jury duty because of her age. So there are things that there are things that when you get to a certain point, you're gonna retire. You're gonna not have kids at home to, to take care of. I've been told that happens at least. We'll see. <laughs> you know. But they're they're also not as I and I mean no offense because I'm not the most spry person either. 
but they're not as spry. They're not able to move and jump and, you know, do all those things. And yet Darius has picked Daniel as one of his top three officials. And so, so if we think back on what we know of Daniel and we know of his reputation, what do you think made Darius choose Daniel at 80 years old to be one of his top three? He was sharp. He was sharp, very wise, very knowledgeable. Ruled well. Not, not repressed. Yeah, he would have been very different from the, from the Babylonian and the Persian rulers because he wasn't, he wasn't one of them. He wasn't, we've, we've talked about the brutality and the, those, those, the attitudes of, of obey me or die. You know, and that that was not the personality that that Daniel would have had. Honest. Honest. The King James says he has a spirit of excellence. A spirit of excellence. Yeah, yeah. In um, in other versions, it it talks about a a spirit. Um, I looked at it, but I didn't write it down. A spirit of the holy gods, I think, is what it is how it was worded but that's something you can't emulate no right <laughs> you can't fake that one yeah but but whether Darius recognized it or not he could see what what Nebuchadnezzar and what Belshazzar's mother both saw and that that was the work of of God in Daniel's life he may not have recognized it as that but that's that's part of what he was seeing and I gave somebody Ezekiel, didn't I? And I forgot to put it on. It's Ezekiel 14, 12 through 14, and 19 through 20. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, that his trembling hand against me by being unfaithful, and I set the same hand against it to cut off its food supply and send famine upon it and kill its men and their animals, even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, Yes. If I send a plague into the land and pour out my wrath upon it through bloodshed, killing its men and their animals, as fully as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, even if Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, they could save neither son nor daughter. They would save only themselves by their so here we, we see Daniel being grouped with Job and Noah as those were the ones that could be saved by their righteousness. So, so what, what characteristics does Daniel have in common with Noah and Job? Faithfulness. Trusted God. Obedience. Take charge kind of people. Yeah. They were ones that that all three of them faced opposition. Different forms, but all three of them faced opposition and were still obedient to God. It's quite the group to be to be put with, right? Darius, you know, despite what they thought, he had some suspicions about some of his some of his officers. He he suspected that certain officials were not doing their jobs and were possibly robbing him of wealth. But he was too busy to keep up with everything, so he appointed higher officers that he could trust to do that for him. Um, but then it it came to where it was it was Daniel was going to be set over even those higher officers to sort of oversee that. The other officials didn't like that. They wanted him out. 
and why do you think they wanted him out? There's lots of reasons Jealous. that could be. Jealousy. Envy. Yeah. He w they were going to get caught because they knew they knew Daniel was was going to take care of it. Position. Yeah, position. They they wanted it. Yeah. Yeah, they had something that he had something that they couldn't copy. They couldn't they couldn't do it. They wanted to keep stealing from from the king. They are jealous of the way the king likes him. And he was a Jew. He was still in exile, right? And being 80 plus years old probably didn't help matters, right? They wanted him out, but they could find nothing that he was doing wrong. And they couldn't even tempt him to do something wrong. But Daniel is not the only believer to face persecution. Um, somebody has John 16, 33. So Jesus promised tribulation, but he also promises that he overcame the world. And then I gave somebody um, 2 Timothy 3.12. In fact, everyone who wants this is Paul. Paul is telling us, you want to live for Christ, you're going to be persecuted. And then I had 1 Peter 4, 12 through 14. Mm -hmm. okay. um, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Yeah, so here's here's Peter telling us. So these are these are this is Jesus and Paul and Peter all telling us trials are going to come. You're going to face opposition. But it's okay. Jesus overcame the world. The, um, you're blessed because the Spirit of God rests upon you. There is an encouragement or there should be an encouragement when that opposition comes. And so Daniel is facing opposition, and let's see what these officials decided to do. So I gave someone verses 5 through 11 of Daniel 6. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators in Shadrach went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, Shadrach, Shadrach's advisors and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty shall, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now your majesty issued the decree, decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in, in writing. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. 
they knew that Daniel would put his God before the king's laws, and they wanted to take advantage of that. So they came up with a plan to ensnare him, and what was that plan? Yeah, basically they wanted to make prayer illegal. Prayer to, to anybody but Darius, illegal. They had to do that by tricking the king. So this was a, a clever group of officials. They did not get to their positions of power by chance. They knew what they were doing and they knew how to get away, how to get away with things like stealing from the king, right? That's what they were doing. And so when we look at verse 7, what important word was used there when the officials went and made their proposal to the king? What was, what's the first word on, on this one that it says? But, yeah, all. All. And like Lori used to say, all means all. But did it really mean all here? There was at least one very important official left out of this discussion, <laughs> right? So a large group of them came to the king together, um, probably not all 120, but even if it were 20 of them, it would be an imposing group and easier to sort of see that concept of all, right? They gave the impression that the leaders were united completely, even though Daniel was probably not the only one left out of the conversations, but Daniel, at least, was left out. But let's look at something else about this. Um, about this. Well, at the end of the, of the verse, what, what is it that they, what, what's their goal in making this, having this decree, this injunction be made? Not just get rid of him, but to kill him, right? It's not just get him fired. It's we want him dead. We want blood. I was thinking about how our schemes, if we're not careful, it just started off as a little plan, and then it grew into murder. Yeah. If they would have just seen that Daniel's a great part of their scheme, like, like let him do the job. He's doing a great job. Right. They... <laughs> They started out, and, and really it started out with, with, with theft, with sort of skimming some off the top. And then it turned into envy and, and hatred all the way up to murder, because that's really what this was, because he hadn't done anything wrong. So they wanted him not, they, they, it wasn't enough to just have him fired or humiliated. They wanted him dead. So Darius was probably early in his reign, or was early in his reign, uh, located in the city of Babylon. So that was, remember, the former capital of Babylon. He was likely looking for ways to unify the Persians that came to the city with him and the defeated Babylonians that were already living there. So these officials took advantage of this desi desire and used their cunning to trick the king. And Darius like almost any other ruler, liked to be known as both a strong military leader and, and we think he was the one that conquered Babylon, led his army to conquer Babylon, so he had that going for him, but also to be a strong government leader. And this idea, this, this idea from these officials, from these corrupt, evil men, this gave Darius the chance to be God for a month. Right? You couldn't ask anybody else for anything. It would put all the focus of the whole city on him for 30 days. So Darius, he didn't need to think this through. He was like, this is a great idea, right? So he signs the decree. By signing the decree, that would also say it's made known to the whole city, right? It's not, he signs it and then it's kept secret. And so how does Daniel respond? Verse 
prays, just like he always did. He continues to pray. But Daniel's decision was not made in this moment. Uh, Dr. Daniel Aiken says, Christian character is not forged in the moment of adversity. Christian character is revealed by adversity. So this leads us to the first question we need to ask ourselves. And that is whether or not we would be ready to do the same thing. Is your faith strong enough to be like Daniel? Have you set your mind to follow God no matter the opposition? So Ray grew up with, with a friend named Jenny. Jenny became a missionary in East Asia. And one time when she was back home, we took her out to lunch. She was telling us a lot about her experience. She talked about some of the differences there because of the laws regarding Christianity. She had the serious danger of being sent to prison in this country if she was caught as a missionary. And the prisons in this, in this country are serious business. She was teaching English as her job, but, but talked about because she was American and the location that she was in, this wasn't all the provinces of this country, but the way her particular one worked, that you knew that when the police came and knocked on your door, the first time it was kind of a warning. The second time they came, that was the warning to leave. Because if they came a third time, that third visit, they weren't leaving without you. So her mission organization, they had plans in place. They knew all of this, had, had plans that with software to wipe her computer, had, um, she just had to make one phone call and she was, she was gone. They, they got her out. Um, but she got that second visit. She can't go back to this country ever because she didn't stop telling people about Jesus just because the government said not to do it. The Bible says, tell people about Jesus. Jenny knew that this was honoring to God and she set her mind to do it for as long as she safely could do it. She knew the risks from the moment that God called her to missions. It wasn't the moment she went to training. It wasn't the moment she arrived in China. She knew it from the moment that God called her. But she set her, her, her mind from that moment to take a stand. She didn't have to decide when she got there. She didn't have to decide after that first knock on the door. She had made the decision before. But one of the things was, or for, for Daniel, Daniel did not just ignore the law of King Darius. We have seen over and over in this book his respect and humility towards the government. It, he showed it in the way he spoke to the kings and others in authority, in the way he respectfully offered an alternative with the food in chapter 1. While Daniel didn't make this decision to continue to pray in that moment, he would have looked for any and any opportunity, any possibility to make the law of man and the law of God work together. But the, uh, unfortunately, the corrupt officials made this impossible. He had no choice but to submit to God instead of submitting to the government. But even if he didn't make a scene, even then he didn't make a scene. He didn't want it to be a big deal. This was like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego with the fiery furnace. He did what he had always done. He didn't open the windows because he wanted someone to see him. He opened the windows toward Jerusalem because that is what he had always done. That was the way he could be closest to God from hundreds of, mile, hundreds of miles away. This wasn't a prideful act. This wasn't an attention-seeking action. John Piper said it was a public statement that Daniel did not take a month off. Daniel did not retire to a private room to pray. He honored God in this manner all of his life in Babylon, and he would not stop now, not for a month, not for a moment. Did you catch that? He was honoring God in the same way he had honored God 
all of his life in Babylon. 60 plus years, this is what he did. So sometimes it's, it's a hard line to see, but it's a very important one. Daniel didn't use the name of God to defy the king. Daniel was honoring God and ended up defying the king. This leads us to another important question we need to ask ourselves. When you are doing something in the name of God, is it to honor God or to bring honor to you or to defy someone else? What is your motive in that disobedience? We had a, a situation, our, our kids go to public school. It was something that we prayed about for each child separately. Um, and we have been blessed by sending them to the school that we have. Uh, God has, has blessed that decision. Um, when, we, when we were at the church over in Mannheim, we had contacted Andrew's teacher. He was in kindergarten at the time about invitations to uh, an event we were having at, at church. Could we invite his class to come to this, it was just a costume party at church. Could we invite his class? And she was like, I don't think that'll be a problem as long as everybody's invited. So we send in, uh, it wasn't even the card that we had sent out to other people. We made up our own separate invitation, signed it from Andrew, and did, did the things we were you know, supposed to do, made sure there were enough for everybody in the class. We even wrote the kids' names on them just like they were birthday party invitations. Send them into the, to the school. The principal, who was not a Christian, called us that afternoon and said we couldn't give out invitations. And we obediently and respectfully just asked, you know, we, we get all these other things from outside organizations non-school but community organizations sent home is it that we need to invite the entire school because we'd be happy to. We'd be more than happy to send an invitation to everybody. No, we just can't, we can't do these things from churches. Okay. And we could have fought that because that was entirely wrong. That was, that was not a legal stand they could take. But we didn't fight that. We obediently took the school directory that they had given us, and everybody in Andrew's grade that had, uh, that we, that had an address in there, we, we mailed an invitation. And we had several of those kids show up. But our respect for the rule that, that they made, the wrong rule that they made, made it so that a few years later, we were able as a church to sponsor a breakfast. We were able to invite every single student at that school to our Easter egg hunt where the gospel would be clearly shared. And we had kids show up. God blessed our obedience to honor him rather than defy the government, rather than defy the authority. And so, so there, there is just a, um, and for the record, the rule was changed the following year. Nothing from any community organization could be given out at school, which was a blessing to our trash can, which ended up with probably 20 sheets of paper a week. It was ridiculous, but um, so at least they made it consistent the following year, and that was good. Um, and they continued to give out the directory, and so we continued to invite by, by mail uh, friends of the kids to different things. So, um, so there are ways to be 
honoring to God when things, when, when the rule of, of government, when the rule of law, when the authority, the, the human authority is wrong. But I know what some of you are thinking. Why didn't he just close the windows, right? <laughs> right? Well, Warren Wearsby says, had he not been a man of faith and courage, Daniel could have compromised and found excuses for not maintaining his faithful prayer life. He might have closed the windows and prayed silently three times a day until the month was over, or he could have left the city and prayed somewhere else, but that would have been unbelief and cowardice. He would have been scheming just like the enemy, and the Lord would have withheld his blessing. No, a man like Daniel feared only the Lord, and when you fear the Lord, you need not fear anyone else. And just as a side note about the windows, these weren't glass windows, right? It's not like these that you just slide up and he, no, this was their source of light. This was their source of ventilation. Likely these windows were constantly open. It wasn't like he just opened the windows to pray. He would have gone to the windows to pray because that's the direction that Jerusalem was. But it wasn't, it, it, it likely wasn't a, oh dear Lord, right? <laughs> that wasn't what he did. So even if he had chosen to close those windows, those officials would have noticed. They were wanting to catch him in something and they were going to look for anything out of place. Um, let's read Daniel 6, 12 through 15. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of to the law of the Jews and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel is one of the exiles from Judah. He pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and sent his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Jews and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be signed. So in verses 12 through 15, the ESV uses the word injunction. Other versions use the word decree. How many times is that word injunction or decree used in, in these, these verses? 12 through 15. I counted four, but it could it, it could be that I'm looking at the wrong. So three or four, either way. Either way. This, the, these officials were relying on the law, right? They were relying on the law. It was an important thing to them. These men knew that Daniel would be faithful to God and, and that Daniel would not let an injunction stop him. And they were waiting and watching for him to do something. It wouldn't have mattered if Daniel prayed in the middle of the throne room or hidden in a closet. They would have figured out a way to catch him. And so, so here's the, a third, the third question that you need to ask yourself this week. Is, will people know how I will respond when faced with a decision about disobedience to God? Do you have a reputation for honoring God like Daniel did? Or do people see you as just someone that goes to church on Sunday morning? Now this, is, this is the reason Daniel was caught. 
right? It wasn't just motions for him. One of the, um, one of the, one of the books I read said, you know, if if somebody you know had a, a, a paparazzi or drone following you around, would they see this lived out in you, or not? That's the that's the question you need to be asking yourself. To get to that moment, to get to that opposition where you have to make the decision or where the decision should already be made, but where the, the decision is shown, is revealed, you have to live it beforehand. And you have to show it to people beforehand. But then the king... The king knows that, oh, I messed up, right? What's his response to hearing about Daniel? He was very sad. Very sad. Yeah. The, the ESV uses the word distressed. Mm-hmm. And part of that sadness, part of that distress was because it was Daniel. And part of that was because he just realized he'd been tricked. He'd been duped by these officials. Right? It was when he realized it was a trap. And why do you think, why do you think, um, why do you think he was so distressed about it being Daniel? Yeah, Daniel was more than just an employee to him. Right? He knew there was something special about him. He recognized that something special. But it, it almost, the way that it goes on to talk about it, it's almost like he was, he was a friend. That there was something, that some deeper relationship than just employer-employee type of thing. The king also felt conviction for letting his pride take over for not thinking things through. So there would have been that layer of, of uh, um, almost of guilt at that point too, that this was, this was his fault for doing this. But the king knew that he had no choice. He also had to be held to the decree that had been made and that he had signed. There was no way around it, even after spending the entire day trying to find a loophole. He did it, but he didn't have to like it. Uh, did I give someone verses 16 through 18? Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And the stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lord, that nothing So the king had no choice but to have Daniel thrown into the lion's den. I tried to look for that and couldn't find that, but I remember hearing something about that, that it was a, it had to be that same, that very day type of situation. I, I looked for that, but, um, but the, the lion's den would have been a large pit in the ground. There would have been a, a, a movable wall almost in, inside to allow the lions to go from one side to the other to, to be able to eat. Right, so they could actually safely feed them at other times. And, but, and then there was this stone over top. But the lions were not fed enough so that their appetites were ready for an execution at any time. So these, these lions were far from tame. You know, we've enjoyed taking the kids at different times to the circus or to the zoo in the past. They loved the animals. Uh, the lions at the zoo are sort of, you know, you see them most of the time just laying around, soaking up the sun. Uh, 
living the good life, right? That's, that's what I think of when I see the lions. They'll move around some. Occasionally you'll hear one roar. Don't get me wrong, they're still wild animals. But they're also relatively tame. They know that, that they deal with the zookeepers regularly in some way. Um, th these are not the type of lions we're talking about because these lions are well fed. The lions at the circus, they put on a good show. They're trained lions, of course, but they're trained to look ferocious. The one behind the fence is the circus lion, um, and he, he does kind of have that look of, of just, um, yeah, of, uh, like he would get you at any moment, right? Um, they'll roar, they'll swipe their claws, and again, while they're wild animals, this is part of the show. Right? Uh, this was at the Ringling Brothers that came to the Giant Center a few years ago. But the lions in, in the Persian lion den, lion's den were far from tame. They knew that when that stone was moved, they were getting fed. And they were likely just circling around. You can just, you can just imagine it, right? Just circling around that entrance waiting for something to be dropped in. They literally looking up, waiting for food to fall from the sky. That's that's what that's the idea that these these lions have in their heads, right? These animals were fierce and fully wild. And this seems like such a harsh puni punishment, and it was. Think about the Romans, though. The Romans at the Colosseum. It was a public spectacle, right? At least here they drop them in and cover it up, right? These lions were ready to eat. They were hungry, and Daniel knew it. But so did King Darius. But the king had hope. So Daniel, Daniel would have had that same feeling that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did in 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 chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, when they said, If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel knew that God could deliver him because he had seen it in the past, but he didn't know if God would. But you do have to laugh just a little bit about the idea of a stone being rolled over the opening. Did they really expect an 80-plus-year-old man to leap back out of the lion's den? <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, just makes you think. Um, but they did it because that was the law. King Darius followed that law to the letter. He knew that it was important and it was required, and he also knew that he had to, to seal that stone um, because no one would break the seal without his command. And so this was also acting an, an act of hoping for a miracle that would make it clear that if a miracle happened, there would be no doubt about Daniel's God. Uh, the New American Commentary, I thought it was interesting, though completely like a side note that doesn't matter much, but the stone was placed over the opening and then it was sealed with, with rings of him and his, and his nobles. And they would use a, a soft clay um, to make sort of a chain. And each link in that chain would have one of the official's rings in it. And that clay would harden quickly. And then when they went to try to move the, the stone, that chain would break. That clay chain would break with all those seals on it so that they would know if you're going to, to attempt to break into this stone, you're going to break these chains and we're going to know it. Um, so it was just an interesting, uh, interesting idea of, of how serious it was. So Daniel is now in the lion's den and all possibility of escape was cut off. And so how did the king respond? in verse 
Well, in all of it, I guess. Not yet. No. Almost. What did he didn't sleep and he didn't eat. He didn't sleep. He didn't eat. There was, the, and no distractions. That distractions, it's an odd word. It's the only place in the Old Testament that this term is used. And so its specific meaning is, is uncertain. But the, the, the idea would be that he would have, you know, if the king was not able to fall asleep, that he would come and have entertainment brought in or food brought in or things like that brought in. Um, possibly women brought in as well just to help him sleep but he said no to all those distractions and chose made the choice to have the sleepless night to have the choice of fasting um, now this is not the same idea of fasting that we would that we would have Darius was not a believer at this time he was grieving he was hoping and he was likely praying to Daniel's God at this time, but he would have been polytheistic. And so the big G God wasn't the only God he was praying to that night. Um, what do you think the evil officials were doing that night? Partying. Partying. <laughs> they were having a big celebration, right? They had won. Now it's Diane's turn. <laughs> at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a kind of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and set the I was found blameless before God and also before you. O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, his children and their wives, before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. So Darius didn't go to sleep. He sees the sun start to rise and he runs straight to the lion's den. There was nothing that was going to stop him. The, and then the ESV says he cried out in a tone of anguish, crying out to Daniel. That anguish was a pain, a, a grief. But there was also a sliver of confidence in that anguish. Or he wouldn't have called out to Daniel at all. Why would he have rushed out if he knew that, that Daniel was dead, right? That's what's called hoping beyond hope. Right, yeah, hoping beyond hope. That's what, that, that's what I, my, my next thought for me was, you know, he cries out in anguish. But do you hear the hope? Or do you hear the doubt in his voice? That was, that was the part that I was str struggling when I was sort of imagining myself watching this unfold. You know, but then Daniel answers him. These are the only words that Daniel speaks in the chapter, which is interesting. And, then, and so he says... O king, live forever, because that's the greeting that you have to make whenever you're addressing the king. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. So Daniel says that God sent an angel to close the lions' mouths. I'm doing that. I don't think it says anywhere what that angel yeah, because God didn't need an angel no. to close the mouths of the lions. I mean, he spoke the world into existence. He didn't need an angel to close the mouths of the lions, right? But he sent the angel. Why? Keeping company. <laughs> so that Daniel wasn't alone. 
That's exactly right. That's right. That's exactly right. And so I gave somebody um, Psalm 34, 7. And then I gave somebody Psalm 91, 11. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. God sends his angels to guard us, but God sends his angels to be with us. We may not see them, and it isn't all the time, but God has them, and he uses them. And he used... Go ahead. What was the first verse? Uh, 34 7 Psalm 34 7 and Psalm 91 11 yeah, and just because we don't hear about it doesn't mean that God doesn't still have angels working around us yeah. <laughs> that's right yeah 80 years old Thrown, <laughs> thrown into a pit, and he doesn't break his hip. Yeah. There was, <laughs> but, but even bigger than that, he wasn't even bruised. There was no harm, no marks on him. But I think about that too. Like it says, you know, when they threw in the children and wives, like they didn't even reach the bottom. So if these lions were hungry, like when they threw him in, he should have been gone before they even got the stone over. Right. So when they have noticed, you know, like, why, why is he still there? Like, why, why aren't they doing anything? <laughs> and and I've, I've wondered that, too, and wondered if that was what gave the king hope. Right. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what, I mean, yeah. And maybe it's because, sorry? But the king had to seal the, yeah, seal the stone. And so, so he would have been present in some capacity. Uh, but having, I mean, the other thing too is having one man to throw in versus having a lot of men, women, and children to throw in. The stone probably could have been ready to just put on top pretty quickly. Um, I, I don't know, but that's a, that's a good question, yeah. Daniel, um, it, the, the ESV says Daniel was found blameless before God and the king. The Christian Standard Bible says found innocent. And we read the passage in Ezekiel earlier where it talked about Daniel being saved by his own righteousness if, if in that circumstance, if the city were going to be, you know, destroyed, that Daniel could be saved by his righteousness. The, this, none of these things mean that Daniel was sinless, that he wasn't sinless overall, he wasn't ever sinless. It is simply saying in this instance, I chose God and that was not wrong. God rejected the law and so Daniel was right to disobey it. And then Daniel was taken out of the lion's den and there were no wounds on him. No broken hip, no bruises. Again, this is reminiscent of the fiery furnace in chapter 3. God could have, have you know, prevented Daniel from even entering the lion's den, but he didn't. And because of that, he got more glory and honor. Now, as a side note, I do want to say just because God delivered Daniel doesn't mean he will deliver everyone who's wronged by others. It, it took a couple of years before we could send out those invitations, or we had the invitation to give to every student in that elementary school to come to our, our Easter egg hunt at church. Um, our friend Jenny could have been taken by the police after the second visit instead of waiting for the third, and that would not have made God any less God. We can't draw conclusions based on the consequences because martyrdom can still, can be, and still is being used for God's glory. But Darius, Darius didn't forget the reason for his sleepless night or his anguish and grief. 
he called in those evil officials and their families to be thrown to the lions. Now, I know this sounds extremely harsh. I get that. This is the dark side of deliverance, right? Judgment falls on those who try to destroy the kingdom of heaven. He didn't throw all 120 officials to the lions, only those that accused Daniel. And the fact that, that their families were killed along with them, this was a well-known Persian law. Uh, Warren Wearsby sort of summed it up. It was much easier to bury corpses than to keep an eye on potential assassins that would be angry over the deaths of their father. But this was also pre preventing preventing people from hurting him, the king, but it was also a fear tactic. You cross me and it's not just you, it's your family. Um, but King Darius punished the wrongdoers, but he also does something else. And so I think I gave somebody Daniel 6, 25 through 28. Yeah, so Darius issues another decree, and what does that decree say? What are the people to do? To tremble and fear Daniel's God. And then he goes on from that decree, so he's, he declared himself God first. That was that first decree, right? Now he's declaring the Hebrew God as not just it's not just an idol right but he uses all those all those phrases he says he's a living god he um, what else does he say about god in this passage his dominion will never end kingdom will never be destroyed delivers and rescues and works signs and wonders yeah this is both both what Darius has seen is that there's both universal greatness of God with him being eternal and with an everlasting kingdom and, and his dominion never ending to also being having personal greatness, greatness that cares about the, the individual in delivering and rescuing, in performing these signs and wonders. Um, God hadn't been honored by most of the Jews that were in exile. And the reason they were in exile was because they hadn't been honoring God before that. But now... God, the big G, God, was receiving praise from pagan rulers. And these decrees would be published throughout the Gentile world. Remember that map of the Persian Empire we showed? You're going to get one handed out in just a few minutes. That map of the Persian Empire was even larger than the Babylonian Empire, right? Even more people heard about God than Nebuchadnezzar could tell because Daniel was consistent and Daniel was, was obedient and Daniel was faithful and he, he obeyed God. And then it said Daniel prospered. Likely he was, he was raised to next in command behind Darius. He was probably put in charge of as much as Darius could give him. Um, but as we close this chapter, and really this section of the book, 
What are some ideas there that we can put on your at-a-glance chart for the theme of Daniel chapter 6? I'll give you a few of my ideas. There's a high cost to following God. And Daniel knew it, right? There's a high cost to following God. But God is also our rescue. Right? But the one that struck me the most was when we don't honor God ourselves, he's going to find someone else to do it. God is going to get the glory. So that closes Daniel chapter 6. Next week we start Daniel chapter 7. 